He met basically everything that I wanted. And the only breaking point was basically us not seeing the next step the same way. And so that's where we kind of had to draw the line and be like, we enjoy everything to a T. The way we bond over food, the way that we travel, the way that we live day to day, DIY projects around the house, like everything was perfect, except when it came to that conversation of what's the next step and what does our future look like? And that's where we couldn't agree on. And that was one of the hardest things to swallow was just like, holy crap, we're fine and perfect day to day. But when we talk about that next step, it's not there. This week on Martinis and Bikinis, we have on a dear friend of mine, Michelle Sparling. Michelle is a content creator on TikTok and Instagram, and she rose to popularity this year for her aesthetic home decor videos, her product try-on-fail videos, and truly embodying the cool laid-back girl. And I can vouch for her on this because she is exactly like that in real life too. A cool girl. Michelle is a first-generation immigrant in the United States and has a very interesting upbringing, and I think some of you will find it very incredible and hopefully resonate with her story. She is also 100% sober, is going to give you, our Martinis and Bikinis listeners, some tips on how to limit your drinking, power through dry January, and overall develop a better relationship with your health. So without further ado, please welcome Michelle Sparling to Martinis and Bikinis. And welcome to Martinis and Bikinis, the podcast for everything under the sun, designed to give you the inside scoop and industry secrets into entrepreneurship, lifestyle, fashion, health and beauty, and navigating your 20s. Meet your hostess, Veronica Drulia, swim designer, serial entrepreneur, lifestyle content creator, and now podcast host as she dives into spicy topics like dating, inner confidence, and becoming the best version of you. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Martinis and Bikinis. Today, we have on a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, Michelle Sparling. So, Michelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So, I want you to tell us all about you. I like to start these episodes just kind of leaning into the roots. So, let's hear it. Where are you from? What do you do? So, if we want to go way back, I was born in Seoul, South Korea. So at five years old, we came over to the States and we ended up in Columbia, Maryland. And it's actually hilarious because my parents had the option between Hawaii and Maryland and they chose Maryland. <laughs> I love it. So it breaks my heart because I'm like, I could have been like a little surfing baby, but ended up in the DMV and it's great. Always like was in this area. I went to school at the University of Maryland. And then after college, I moved to DC. And then I moved to Baltimore for a little bit, back to Columbia, Maryland. And then as of last April, came back to DC. I feel like you have such a cool upbringing because you were in South Korea and you spent most of your early childhood on a military base. Is that correct? My mom is Korean. So when I went back to Korea, I think in like 2018, I drove around with my family and I was like, wait, I'm confused. Like, I remember this and I remember that. And they were like, yeah, that was all on the military base. So my memory of what Korea was, was barely even like Korea itself. It was literally the bubble I was in on the military base. So like the daycare I was at, the school I was at, my friends, I was like, wasn't there like a golf course we lived on? And they were like, that was the military base. (laughs) 
golf course. So I was like, oh my God, I'm glad to be back. But at the same time, I was back, I don't know, 15 years later. So it was a completely different country. Right. So it was kind of funny, like when I was growing up, what I saw wasn't really actually Korea. So going back in 2018, it was like seeing the country for the first time. So That's so cool. I remember the first time I went to New York City and coming from small town Louisiana or just deep south Louisiana, I walked out of Penn Station with just huge bug eyes. I could not believe my eyes. So growing up in Seoul is actually like a pretty advanced city. Mm -hmm. So moving to the DMV, I think it was actually like very similar, like even weather-wise. Like people think like, oh, there must be like some crazy difference, whatever. But I would say day to day, like it's pretty much the same. And so it's like a really technology forward city. There's a lot of mix of military, kind of like same with DC, just like a whole mix of people. So I think it was actually kind of comforting place to move to because the DMV is just a melting pot of so many different cultures, so many different people, like income levels, diversity, everything. So I actually think it was like a really nice transition as opposed to like maybe somewhere like Hawaii or Montana where it would have been a completely different lifestyle or world. I also think having that experience at such a young age could probably make you blossom into an adult a lot faster. You're exposed to different cultures. And I think that gives you cultural intelligence, but also emotional intelligence. And I think what's cool about DC in particular is that it is a melting pot, like you said. And I feel like in America, this is the number one spot you can come to and really gain more culture because you're meeting so many different people with so many different backgrounds all over the world. Where I grew up was, I was so fortunate because the way our school system was basically set up was, I think his name was like Rouse something, but he basically built the county to have clusters. So there were clusters of different houses. So anything from Section 8 all the way to like gated mansions. So when you were going to school, you were seeing people from all backgrounds and like every race, every income level. And I think that was also something I was really, really fortunate to have in my upbringing was just seeing diversity. Yeah. And you have such a diverse background. You know, you have two parents of different races. And I feel like seeing a lot of different types of people is really refreshing. And I know some people grow up in situations where they see people that look exactly like them, have the same income levels, same education, all of that. And I am a firm believer especially living here, there are so many different opinions, so many different backgrounds, different political standpoints too. I love to surround myself with people that think all over the place, like people that think on one end of the spectrum to the other, in the middle, it doesn't matter because I feel as if I learn so much from everyone. Oh yeah, And I think the people that lack that in their upbringing it's almost detrimental because you grow up and you're a little oblivious or maybe even a little ignorant as to what is actually going on in the world. Yeah. 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 I've had conversations with people where they say like, oh, where I did grow up, it was literally just like one race, one income. Obviously they can't help that, but it definitely hurts them because they say, oh, when I got to college, that was the first time I saw people of different incomes or different races. And I'm just like mind blown at that because here you see like everyone from every walk of life. And so, yeah, it's definitely something I'm like very fortunate to like have had in my upbringing. Yeah. In Louisiana, it's very interesting because I feel as if some parts are definitely the counter as to what you were saying. 
And I was fortunate enough to go to a school that really, really valued diversity. And I had a lot of foreign exchange students at my school. And I learned so much from them. I always was the first to befriend them because I thought they were just so cool. And it was really hard for them to transition. I remember they always really struggled. And I was the first one to go talk to them. I thought it was so cool that they left a completely different country and just planted themselves and wherever I was they were. Thinking about that recently because I was thinking of like kind of the things I wanted to say about my upbringing on here. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that is something that isn't necessarily talked about a lot is first generation immigrants, basically. So true. Just trying to, I think that's something I want to try to dig into or reflect on and just think like, how did that affect my life? Because I was the first person, I think, in my whole family to graduate from an American university. Wow. And I was just like, wait, that's actually really awesome. That is awesome. It's pretty crazy. And so I'm just like, I need to kind of look into that and kind of think like, what impact has that had on my life and my family? And it's just like something very interesting. So I kind of want to like look into that. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And I know that we've been friends for a while and we've had conversations about this, but I don't think we've really deep dived into it. But I remember those kids at my school feeling really lost. And I also think there was a lot of people that either one ignored them because they didn't feel like going through the motions or trying to get to know them and get to know their background. And two, I kind of saw like an introvertedness about them because of that. And that made me sad. And I was really, really fortunate to be able to make some friendships with them. But did you feel that way whenever you first came here? Yes. I don't know if a lot of people know this about me. I feel like sometimes people see my social media and they think I'm like, oh, she goes out all the time. She's like crazy, whatever. I'm like, I am 100% introvert. I do best by myself on my own. And I think that is because of how I grew up. And it was coming to this country and kind of just being like a little bit confused on seeing different family types, seeing the different like pressures of like the culture. And so my mom was kind of like the stereotypical Asian mother. And so she was just 100% school. If you ask to go to the movies tonight, absolutely not. It needs to be planned out like a week ahead of time or like you have to have done well on something in order to go. And so there was like this huge pressure of just feeling like I needed to live up to something But then also this pressure of just like having to focus on school. And it seemed kids at school weren't interested in focusing on school. And so I just felt this kind of like weird moment. And I definitely had a huge awkward stage. Like middle school was not my time. Same. Oh, my God. I feel like I need to post a photo of both of us in middle school to like promo this podcast episode. I deleted all pictures. Not to really just beat myself up. But I was... Oh, oh, oh. I know everyone had like their rough time. I feel like kids these days like don't even, but they don't even know. They they all are just makeup artists exactly. and <laughs> are really elegant and don't have like noodle arms. I was a total noodle growing up. So I just I didn't it. even know what to do with my body. But it seems like people are so much more sure of themselves now. But maybe I feel like everybody's been saying that for a long time. Yeah, you know? like everyone still has that phase. Everyone still has that phase of like insecurity and all that. And One of the things that I think is just hilarious is when I was in sixth grade and skinny jeans were coming into trend, and I was so confused. I was like, how are people getting their pants so tight? Are they shopping in the kids' section? Oh, my God. So I literally had my mom take me to Target, go to the kids' section, and I was trying to put on, like, teeny jeans because I thought, oh, my God, that's what they're wearing is, like, the skinny tight jeans. Oh, my God. Because I was literally wearing, like, matching tracksuits to school, and I had glasses, freckles, acne, short hair, like— 
I literally noodle arms. Like, oh my god, it was hilarious. You're probably like, a back. boss walking into school. If I saw you, I would immediately run up to you. No, you know, like, the what sign, a bad bitch the in the jumpsuit. Me, the sign of me the being matching loser in middle school is I had the transition glasses. Okay, my best friend Lauren had those in middle school, and she would get so embarrassed when we would walk outside. She would freak yeah, out. I thought they were the coolest things ever. I was walking out to recess like. I am so cool. And then just to find out like two years later, like it was not cool. <laughs> well, I feel like trends whenever you're that age, it just goes over your head. Yeah. And it's it doesn't matter at that point. And I think that's what's so beautiful about being a child and being a kid is that stuff doesn't matter. And I think as we get older, we start making that matter more, which I think is cool. I love trends. I love playing into them and putting my own twist on things. But it's really, really interesting to look back at childhood and just think about all the things I did not give a shit about. And I think I need to carry that into 2023. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of you, thinking that people think that you are this crazy, wild person out all the time, I think something really important that we could talk about, especially because it's dry January, yeah. is how you are completely sober. So a lot of people, I've gotten this so many times from people that are either just me or even people that I date. They're like, oh, like, it seems like you live like this awesome life. You go out all the time. I think maybe you are like a little bit of a drinker. And I'm just like, no, I'm actually completely sober. And it's like, yeah, I understand to a certain extent on social media, like I should probably limit how much I'm posting pictures of drinks, going out, all that stuff. Cause it is like pretty rare. And I more so have it for like the aesthetic. Yeah. You're so good glasses. at that. I think it's so cute. I'm going to post it. But yeah, so people just assume like, oh, like any other 27-year-old, you're probably going out every weekend drinking. And I'm just like, no, I probably go out like once every three months. And if I do go out, I'm 100% sober. And it's me dragging you there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I have to make my quarterly appearance to like say hi to everyone. Of course. Just parade around the room. The queen is here. And then just go home and play with your dog, Billy. I love it. But what are some tips that you could give people? Because I know I have a lot of friends. I'm sure that there's some listeners that are doing dry January. And there's a lot of pressure this month in particular to stay sober. And a lot of people don't follow through. I, for one, have not followed through. It's also my birthday month. So I get I get a card. To, I get a free card. <laughs> but all jokes aside, what are some tips on things that you can do instead of doing those things, going out, drinking, or even just tips that you can give about going out and not drinking? Yeah. So I do want to preface, like I do have a slight advantage, if you want to call it an advantage. I physically can't drink. So like I've never even experienced really that going out, getting blackout drunk, having drinks with dinner. I've never even been able to actually experience that even. So I do speak from a place where like, I literally don't even have the option to drink. Right. So it it is coming from a place of like, okay, it's literally like I have to be sober. But it definitely took some getting used to because in, I didn't really drink in high school. So like never right. really found out. It was in college when I found out I couldn't drink. Basically, that's a crazy environment to learn. Like, okay, I can't participate in the activity that everyone is doing every single weekend. It definitely took some kind of like adjusting. I was like, at first I would hold a beer to literally be like, oh, I don't want to be the sore thumb out that's holding a water. And just as time went on, I got more comfortable with it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why am I holding a beer just trying to like not bring attention to the fact that I'm drinking water? Just fit in with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the biggest tips I think I have is like, don't make it a big deal because it's not a big deal. When I go out, you don't have to plaster it on your forehead that it's like, I'm not drinking. And it's like, 
just get a water, throw a lime in it, and then people think it's like a whatever, vodka lime. Right. I was reading a book recently, and the author talks about how if you want to stop drinking or limit your drinking, maybe you should not start with, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. Maybe you should just say, I don't drink. And that sets a tone for yourself, which I thought was really interesting because I think people that are struggling with that relationship and they want to tone it down, usually they'll have two or three beers and then it escalates and they end up drinking more. So if you really struggle with your relationship with alcohol and it's detrimental to your health, he was basically saying, just start saying that I don't drink. And I noticed that whenever we do go out, people will be saying, Michelle, come to the bar. We're taking shots. Do you want one? And you respond with, I don't drink. And immediately they're, okay, amazing. Like you don't have to make it some big deal of just, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. Like exactly what you're saying. Because then people are like, oh my God, why? Something happened. It's like something happening tomorrow. Like you're preparing for something. What's the tea? (laughs) I don't drink. And then just kind of like move on with it. Right. And I find that that's like the most helpful thing is like if you don't make it some big deal and it's just like the norm of you and also you have good people around you, no one's going to pressure you into being like, what are you talking about? Like, yes, you are drinking tonight. You're going to take this shot or something. And it's just like, I think if your friends are very understanding, then if you also just tell them like, hey, I want to slow down with drinking or like, I'm not really interested in getting blackout drunk anymore. Like, can you just maybe help me or not pressure me to take that extra shot and all that stuff? And so I think it's like a mix of things, but it's definitely not something that I'm just like, oh, like snap out of it or something. Because I know it's hard. And I know it's like a lot to do with society and the pressure of it. And a lot of people have like social anxiety. And I'm just like, Listen, coming from an introvert with social anxiety, like, you can do it. I know a lot of people need to have a drink before this and drink before that. And, like, I do think that's fine. But if it gets to a certain point, I think you should be able to do everyday things, like, without having to have that shot or drink. Exactly. I have a question for you. Do you drink mocktails? Yes, I love mocktails. What's your favorite? So I usually do. So at home, because I also am not, like, a big soda drinker either. So I either just always stick to water or I like making mocktails. Yeah. I am obsessed with mint. So I usually do sparkling lime soda and then add 100% cranberry juice, so a little bit of health, and then add a branch of mint. And because herbs are really good for you as well, so some mint. And then I'll like muddle some strawberries or blueberries and then throw that in there. That's so fancy. Look at you. (laughs) I love that. I love poppies too. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's a good mocktail or... There's so many alternatives today, too. Like, that's another amazing thing. Like, I think it was – I saw something the other day. I think it was, like, Liquid Death. Their cans, I think, are made to look like alcohol or something. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was their whole marketing, branding aspect. I looked at that for the first time, and I said, that business is going to flop. That is the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life. I look at that, and I want to run away from it immediately. But now that I understand that it's supposed to be – a supplemental thing when you're not drinking or it's supposed to disguise itself as alcohol, it makes so much more sense because it looks scary. Mm -hmm. So it looks scary like liquor or alcohol or whatever, but it's just water in a can. Yeah, I've never had it. Maybe I should try it. Yeah, I need to try it as well. (laughs) I know. I see it in the store and I like run away from it. But I was listening to The Skinny Confidential and for anybody that has listened to any of these episodes – that I would jump off of a bridge if Lauren and Michael Bostic asked me to, but that's my own thing. That's ridiculous. But they had Miranda Kerr on, who I love, and I just got a lot of her skincare stuff from Cora Organics, and I'm obsessed. 
But she talks about how if she does drink, she doesn't drink often, but when she does, she does like tequila and coconut water. And I thought that was really interesting because it was like, oh, she's balanced, like we were talking about with the cranberry juice. You know, I think there's ways to find little hacks to like make it a little bit healthier. But I think ultimately, if you do struggle really, really badly with your drinking, I think cutting it cold turkey is not a bad idea. I have a lot of friends that have been sober for years, and it was because they started getting into accidents drinking. Yeah, it's really scary. Yeah, really, really scary life or death things. And now they're completely sober, and they're really vocal about it, which I think is super cool. And I appreciate you for, like, opening up about that because I know it's, like, it's such a stigma thing. And I think being sober is actually really cool. Yeah. Because you put yourself out there on your own. It's not some liquid courage or whatever driving you to be a certain way. It's you're really just going out and about and you're just showing who you are, which I think is so cool. Thank you. I think that is kind of like a question I have seen a lot is people are just like, oh, well, I kind of need it to socialize. And I'm like, almost see that as a challenge. Like kind of look at reflect on why you drink. If you're not enjoying what you're drinking or you don't even like the taste of what you're actually drinking, maybe draw it back for a second and just think, make it something that you can enjoy. Like, because I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking either. Yes, 100% sober is great. But at the same time, if you can actually make drinking like an enjoyable thing and enjoy like concoctions and different alcohols and all that stuff, then I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. And I am working on my relationship with it. So I am being a little hypocritical. But I feel like recently I have really enjoyed going to more like cocktail lounges. So it's this whole experience as opposed to just being in a crowded bar and getting beer thrown on you and taking shots. And maybe every once in a while that's fun for me, but I really have appreciated the art of like cocktail making and drinking something that has like a little bit of soul in it, you know? But I also want to talk a little bit about you coming back to DC. So you were in Maryland in your hometown or where you went to high school, correct? Yeah. And you came to D.C. Do you want to tell us that story? Like give us a little bit of background? Yeah. So I don't know like how much detail to go into. That's okay. That's okay. Basically went into a huge breakup in January. I was living with my then boyfriend and I was basically just put in this position of what am I doing with my life? Where the heck do I go? Do I stay in my hometown where I know it's comfortable Or do I try to branch out and go to another city? And so I was thinking about making a bigger move, like a cross-country move or like multiple states away. But just with how everything was going at that time, I was like, maybe it's just a little too much to go from zero to 100. So I was like, what's close by that's still like somewhat familiar but new? And that's how I kind of landed on D.C. Because I was like, well, I lived there for like a year after college, but I was working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I never got to see that city. And so I was like, I think that'll be a good choice, like a transition move where I can just go there for a year or two and just see how I feel and if I can make that like bigger step. I think it's super cool that you moved here solo and your family moved away, your best friend moved away, and you decided to take control of your life and move to a city completely alone and just do the damn thing. So in that year... My parents sold our childhood home and they went to Florida. My older sister's husband got a new job. So her whole family picked up and moved to Indiana. My best friend throughout COVID was kind of had like this 
quarter life. What am I doing? So she went out west. She went to Salt Lake City. So everyone just like left. And then my little sister stayed in her college town, Lexington, Virginia. Literally within such a small amount of time, I lost everyone that I had seen almost every day. Like my families, we were doing Sunday dinners. We were constantly in communication. I was stopping by to see my nieces like whenever I could. And everyone was there. And within a short amount of time, everyone dispersed. And I also was going through that breakup. That was the first time in my entire life where I was truly on my own. And I didn't have like, oh, my parents to run to or move back in with my best friend or have my whole group of people there. I was like, holy crap, I am truly alone. What am I going to do with this? And after a breakup, you're in that zone where you're just like, you can't really see the other side. And so I was very much like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is insane. Like, I don't have my usual people here. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. What the heck am I going to do? And I was just like, let's just take baby steps, you know, and the snap fingers like cure my life. So let's just take this first step, find an apartment in DC and just go from there. Yeah. And I think that takes a lot of balls because there's so many people that get in that bubble, like you said, and it's hard to break out of it. Oh, yeah. And after a breakup, I can relate. It's kind of this lost, confusing feeling, especially if it's somebody that has been a part of your life for a very long time. And I think you kind of go through this existential crisis in the sense of what do I want? How am I going to get there? How do I see the other side? Like you said, but for me, I don't know if you relate. I feel as if we as women have such pressure on us, society, maybe family to settle down, get married, have kids, which I think is great. And I do want that someday, but I'm not going to make my whole life about that. Whenever I recently went home for the holidays, I found people and my family, and obviously it's a completely different culture down there. And people do get married and settle down a lot younger. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not something that I want at this moment in time for myself. And I found that everybody was asking me about it. Yeah, I'm really proud of myself over this past year. I think that I have completed a lot of things. I've reached a lot of goals. And nobody was asking me about that. They were asking me about what was next. And am I dating? And it's just, it's a lot. Because you work so hard for all these things. And then that's what you're still viewed as, which has been really, really tough for me. Yeah. I think we're still kind of in this like transition period where we still push women where we're like, oh my gosh, start your own business, do your own things. But then I feel like we're still in that mindset where people are holding us down being like, when's the kid coming? When's the marriage coming? Who are you dating? And it's just like, why are we all in such a rush? Right. We are literally trying to put our feet like down on the gas pedal, just being like, do all of this stuff by the time you're 30. And now that I'm approaching 30, I'm just like, no, there's no reason why we need to be going like zero to a hundred. If that's what people want to do, that's totally fine. Like my best friend, she's on that track where she's been dating her high school sweetheart. They're engaged now. They're getting married next year. So totally fine. So sweet. But like, not everyone has to follow that track and that's okay. Yeah. I do, I, the same thing happens to me. My mom calls me and she's like, so did you find a boyfriend yet? When are you getting married? Because I'm getting old. I want to walk down, be like in the wedding, whatever. I'm just like, 
mom, I can't even comprehend dating right now. Like I am trying to focus on where I want to live, what I want to do with my life, what my friend group that I want to build. Like I want to have everything before I look at that next step. Yeah. And sometimes the people that do settle down, obviously there's some incredible love stories out there. Like your, your friend that is the cutest thing ever. So there's, but I do think some people settle because of the societal pressure to settle down and have kids. And that's something that a lot of older people, like a lot of older friends that I have that are divorced, have really encouraged me to create a different perspective for is don't settle because you could be like this. You could have to completely reinvent yourself at 45 years old or 50 years old. And I I don't want to do that. As Amazing as that is for them, I think that's so beautiful too that they get to reinvent themselves again. I want to make sure that the person that I end up with, it's endgame. And that's important to me. Obviously, everybody's values are different, but I feel like, it's, yeah, it's just life is, life is tough. Oh, yeah. Dating is tough. No. And <laughs> I like, I know I'm a total hypocrite when I say this, but I just want to shake people and be like, wake up and literally break up with him. Like, break up with him because I was that exact person. Like in my relationships, I was like codependent. I relied on them way too much. I was just like constantly catering to them thinking like, oh my gosh, we're so in love. We're going to get, do all these like next steps in life and whatnot. And I, when I take a step back, I'm just like, am I happy? Yeah. And I don't think people can truly look at themselves and kind of like give themselves like that smack in the face and be like, am I truly happy? And be honest with your answer because Even though I can say like, oh, but like all these good times and all these good things and he meets all these like different checkboxes and whatnot. At the end of the day, I was like unfulfilled. I was unhappy. I was still questioning things about my life, like wondering things. And I'm just like, I shouldn't be in this position. But it took that point, like that breakup was something I would have never seen myself doing. Like looking back, I'm just like, that's the greatest thing to ever have happened to me. I have this shirt that I just ordered. From finesse.us, and this is not an ad that I'm just plugging, but I really like them because they're affordable and they're sustainable. Anyway, I have this tank from them that I just got, and it says dump him. Like, dump him, yes. I, is it Britney Spears that like wore that or Paris Hilton or someone, or there's like a meme about it? But I want to like flaunt that around because I think Seriously. there's a lot of people that are with really, and not just women, I think there's men that are with some like <laughs> really not great people. And I think evaluating your relationships is the number one thing that should always be on your mind. Yeah. Creating boundaries is huge. And it's something that I'm still working through, whether that's somebody sucking my energy or me surrounding myself with people that aren't necessarily bringing out the best in me. And thankfully, I have such a good group of friends here and I never feel that way with them. But there are a few people in my life where I'm like, uh, I do need to like maybe create a line or yeah. some distance or a boundary. And I think sometimes people don't give themselves that option because they feel like they owe the world something. And you don't owe anyone anything. Speaking on codependence, I'm reading this book right now called Codependent No More. It's by Melanie Beattie. It's very, very good. She is just an award-winning author. It's very, very interesting. There is a long list of different qualities that somebody that is codependent has. and. Obviously, you can find different characteristics in there that anyone could relate to, but I was highlighting, highlighting, highlighting 
the ones that I felt encompassed me. A lot of that was overthinking and caretaking, feeling as if I need to fill other people's cup in order to give myself reassurance. That is my biggest goal for 2023 is not devaluing my worth by trying to make other people happy because you're never going to be able to do that. It all starts from within. So yeah, really good book. You should read it. I'll give it to you after. But yeah, like that is something that I think is just so common. And I literally do not blame anyone because that's what I'm saying. I literally was that same person. And now looking from the other side, I just want to like shake my younger self and be like, what were you doing? What were you putting up with? And why were you allowing that? I just kept thinking like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. And I do think that is something like a lot of us grow up maybe not seeing healthy relationships and that's why. But, and another thing I do want to say is podcasts and reading books about relationships is what helped me make that step. If we can talk about this and it even affects one person, that is a huge win because it was listening to podcasts and hearing other perspectives about what relationships like should and shouldn't be. And I know that's not just like black and white, but it really made me kind of think like, what? in the world is going on. And it made me question parts of the relationship and ask myself questions that I had never asked myself before. And I'm not saying nitpick at your relationship, not at all. But if you're in that position where you're kind of like questioning certain things and you're kind of just like unsure, listen to different podcasts, like read different resources and figure out like what that's coming from. Stemming from. I think there's a lot of rhetoric about being codependent too, about how it directly involves people that are in relationships with people who have substance abuse issues or alcoholism or mental health disorders. And talking to more people, I've realized that, yes, people who do have relationships with those people typically are codependents, but there's a lot of people that don't have those issues in their relationships that also possess those qualities. So I think it's good to take a step back, maybe even journal too, after doing your research, listening in podcasts. Yeah. Figuring out exactly how you feel, putting pen to paper, and really just getting out of your mind. Journaling is the number one thing that has helped me in my entire life. Every single bucket in my life is fixed with journaling, which I know is like so trivial. And people will tell you, journal, journal, journal. But it really is the best thing that you can do for yourself. And it's really not that hard. I sometimes lack the motivation to actually get out my journal and do it. But the minute I do, I feel completely refreshed. So whether that's analyzing relationships or just talking about your day or maybe creating a pros and cons list for a big life decision, I think getting out of your own head and putting it somewhere else really takes a big weight off of your shoulders. Yeah. And it was crazy because I, to this day, like that was still probably one of like the hardest things that I went through because He met basically everything that I wanted, and the only breaking point was basically us not seeing the next step the same way. And so that's where we kind of had to draw the line and be like, we enjoy everything to a T. The way we bond over food, the way that we travel, the way that we live day to day, DIY projects around the house, like everything was perfect, except when it came to that conversation of what's the next step and what does our future look like? And that's where we couldn't agree on. And that was one of the hardest things to swallow was just like, holy crap, we're fine and perfect day to day. But when we talk about that next step, it's not there. And I think that's the scary part too. And something that I'm still working through is that can change. 
You can meet somebody and say, I want to get married, have three kids, live in that white picket fence scenario. And then maybe you have a new experience and you're completely open to new possibilities. I think that's something that I have inner struggled with because if you were to ask me whenever I was 22 what I saw my life as at 25, 26, I would tell you that that's what it would be. And I'd be settled down and all of that. And I think it's okay to change your mind. Oh, yeah. And I think it's just about being communicative about it. I think it's a really freeing thing too. So I'm I'm really impressed with you. I think that's a hard thing to do and especially moving to a new city. And what you did whenever you moved here was super cool because you got on TikTok yeah. and you started making TikToks. And if you guys don't know, Michelle is the aesthetic queen. Like she is so good at what she does. I always look at her Instagram stories and I question how the fuck did she get that photo? <laughs> it's just so moody and cool. And you're just a cool girl. So what made you want to get into that? Was it just out of boredom? Was it just for fun? It was literally the breakup. So we were living together and we went through the breakup. And it was a very mature, same page breakup. So it wasn't like immediately get out of the house, whatever. It wasn't like bad at all. It was literally a conversation where we said, our futures are not on the same path and we have to split. So we were still living in the same house together for a little while. And I was like, okay, well, now that we're not cuddling on the couch watching movies, what am I going to do? So I kind of had always liked the idea of TikTok, but I was always scared because I was like, I cannot imagine myself talking to a camera. Like I just can't. And one day I just started making some videos and one of the first ones I did was my haircut. And so I was like, I'm going to treat myself after this breakup. I'm going to go get a haircut. And I filmed my haircut and I think it got like 2 million views. Same. Yeah. Also, Michelle has the best hair for those of you that are listening via Spotify or Apple Pod. Literally the most gorgeous hair. So go to her page so you can see it. But you post some really, really funny videos too. Yeah. You do the product try on fails. Oh my That God. video blew up. The was it the Skims bodysuit or the UGG minis? The ultra so minis? there was like a free people jumper romper and then yeah the UGG platform minis both like I think the UGG one got over four million views which is like insane it's crazy and it's hilarious because there's been like a handful of people who have like recognized me from that video That's so cool though <laughs> and I'm just like oh my god you couldn't have recognized me from like a makeup video or something it was like oh I saw you with like your hoof UGGs <laughs> your hoof UGGs <laughs> But it's just so That's funny. That's what we're calling them. We're pinning it as that now. The UGG Ultra Minis are hoof UGGs. Yep. yep. Hoof UGGs. I love it. I love it. Was it scary to like post your first video, make that jump? Because a lot of the women that I work with or that I have conversations with, I have a social media agency. It's actually a consulting agency. So I work with women one-on-one -on -one to build content creation brands. So if they want to become a content creator and start from the ground up and kind of have somebody to hold their hand through that process – just kind of be an accountability buddy and help them figure out what they want to post about, how they can make more money through social media, pitching, things like that. And the number one conversation that I have, especially with people on my discovery calls before we ever work together, is people ask me how I did it, how I got over that fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. And you just have to start. Yeah, That's literally. the only advice that I have. I think it's the same thing we were talking about with kind of drinking. It's just like, don't make it a big deal. I feel like that's part of maybe my laid back personality, but I just don't like to make don't things a, a big fuck. deal. Who cares? Because the thing is too, people always think it's funny until 
you're like blowing up a little bit. Yeah. People always think like, oh, why is she making those videos? A hundred people are watching. And it's just like, okay, but then all of a sudden now when you're at 10K, 20K, it's not funny anymore. It's like, oh my God, what she's doing is so cool. And it's just like, yeah. So you can't look at that. And I think what really helped too was on TikTok finding a community. So I was reaching out to other small creators, people who are also under 10K, even under 5K, even under 3K, people with literally like 20 followers. If I liked their content, I would comment, interact, say just like, oh my God, I love your aesthetic, all that stuff. And that's what you did with me. (laughs) (laughs) I think you commented on my video. We we haven't even talked about how we met. I know. I guess we should have like started with that. I also have a funny note. What you said about starting, especially with drinking and just getting over it, like Mm -hmm. not giving a fuck. You legitimately worked at a college bar. (laughs) The 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 bars of the college bars, Bentley's, University of Maryland, Go Terps. Like yeah, like that is definition of not giving a fuck. I'm just gonna really expose myself here, and I think that's great. But yeah, so me and Michelle met. I had just started following her. I saw that she was in DC, and she has an amazing page, but. I was at Foxtrot a few days later, maybe even the day after. I don't remember. But I had just went to Christy Horan's class at Free People Movement. Shout out to Christy. She's great. I was with my friend Mary-Kate and my friend Taylor. And I look over and there's this girl in line and she looks so familiar. And I put it together and I was like, oh my God, that's Michelle. I, I just started following her. And I was scared because... A week before, I thought I saw this girl from my hometown at Lardente in D.C., and I made a fucking fool out of myself. I walked up to this girl and her friends and screamed, hey, and she looks at me with deer in headlights. She had no idea who I was. I looked at her and realized, this is, that's not her. That is not her. And I just ran away. I, <laughs> I, I just went and hid and cried, and it was, I didn't cry, but it was very embarrassing. I saw you and I did not want to make that mistake again. I was so solid on not doing that again because it had just happened. I was semi-traumatized. So you commented on my video from Foxtrot, maybe? And I said, I think I saw you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you had posted a, like, I think day in DC or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, wait, that looks like such a cute day. Like they went and got coffee. They did workout class, all that stuff. I was like, wait, cute. And then... You were like, wait, I think I literally saw you at Foxtrot. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I was there at like whatever yesterday or this morning. And I think from there, we just had connected and said, oh my God, we got to meet up for coffee and just like talk. So yeah. Last thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about skincare because I know that you love skincare. Yeah. And I want to hear about all of your favorite products, what you do, even maybe the more ridiculous things oh, like yeah. I do like washing like I I will what's it called slug I'll, yeah. I'll do all of it so I want to hear your whole take I've done skin. like everything under the sun like if you name it I've probably done it and this also comes from since sixth grade and forward I had cystic acne really bad acne like to the point where I was so embarrassed of my skin. I absolutely hated it. I went on Accutane three times and I went on spironolactone. I tried everything, literally everything, and it wouldn't go away. And basically my doctors were just saying like, probably until your late 20s, like it's when it's going to subside. And once I hit 25, my acne was terrible. And so I think growing up with my skin just being that way, I was always obsessed with products, skincare products, how to take care of my skin. 
Also, my mom has flawless skin, like perfect skin. I was always kind of looking at like, what is she doing? I was going to dermatologists. I was watching videos, doing everything under the sun. And so I finally, I would say in the last year, got to a place where I really took the time to see the right people, talk to the right people, do the research and figure out, okay, what works for my skin? And ultimately I found I was just doing too much. Yeah. I've heard that simplifying is the best thing that you can do. And I think I struggled with that for a while. Yeah. Because I was getting sucked into everything. I was like, oh, I need this serum. I need this cream. I need this face wash and this and that. And it got to the point where I had just like a counter full of skincare and that was just doing more harm than anything. So over the last year, I saw a dermatologist. She really put me back on track and we simplified my routine. So she was awesome. I literally brought in my products and she kind of like read through and told me like, no, this probably isn't going to work for you because I have acne prone, oily, somewhat combination skin. I'm prone to hyperpigmentation, all of that stuff. So we cleaned out my routine. It's best to just, at least for me, use a very basic wash, nothing special about it. And then use a hyaluronic acid. So when you say basic wash, is that like CeraVe, Cetaphil, Cetaphil or whatever? I think both of those work. I personally use Youth to the People, like oh, the Kayla yeah, wash. Yeah. So do you so use good. non-toxic products for the most part? I try my best, yeah. yeah. And so I find that that face wash takes away all your makeup but doesn't strip your skin. So I absolutely love that face wash as well as like the Tatcha rice wash, a little bit pricier option. But yeah, the drugstore ones I've heard are just as fine. And then... Use very basic serums. So a very clean, just like hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, even like the ordinary ones are great options. I personally use Rode right now. And I think it's just amazing. Like it's just so simple. It's just what your skin needs to be hydrated. Because with Korean skincare, is they focus the glazing on fluid or is this the new product? The glazing fluid, yeah. Okay. And so I think it's a mix of hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, and a few other things. Okay. Wait, she doesn't have a new product. She came out with a different flavor of the lip treatment. Oh, yeah. Is that it? Okay. Yeah, I'm all over the place. She is coming out with new stuff. But I love the glazing fluid. I need to get more, but… Yeah. I mix it in with my tinted moisturizer. It's amazing. What tinted moisturizer do you use? Her uh, moisturizer. Oh, love yeah. that. Yeah. Not so really. I use that combination, <laughs> her serum, her moisturizer. It's just very clean. And with Korean skincare, they focus on keeping your skin barrier healthy and moisturizing, like keeping your skin moisturized. And so I think with the U.S., a lot of products are very stripping, drying, and that's why we have so much irritated skin and acne-prone skin and all of that stuff. So I really just focused on basic products, moisturizing my skin, and then investing in kind of like bigger procedures, I guess. I don't know if I would call them procedures. Yeah, you just got microneedling done, didn't you? Yeah. So I've done the VI peel, I think like the derma peel, which those are, I would recommend to anybody who has trouble with scarring or even like current acne. I truly think that that did like a 180 on my skin was doing those peels. And then I've done microneedling. And most recently, With everybody, I did Morpheus 8 microneedling. So it's microneedling combined with, I think, like radio frequency. And so it goes deeper into the skin without damaging it. And it basically regenerates your skin over the next couple months. So I'm very excited. That's so cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's a newer treatment. I think it's been around, but it's definitely become like a little bit popular in the last few months. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I actually recently got off of birth control. Oh, really? Yeah, so I... I have a very horrible experience with birth control. So I was on Loestrin Effie for like high school until my freshman year of college. 
And that was for my skin. I hate that people use that as a band-aid because sometimes there's underlying issues that birth control just puts a band-aid over. And then I got Nexplanon in my arm, which absolutely, I was a psychopath. I would cry every, every day I cried. I had that time of the month literally every week. It was, it was one of the most terrible experiences I went through. And I didn't even realize I was like bloated all the time. Like I just felt, I did not feel like myself. So I got it removed a year later and I immediately felt so much better. So I never got back on it Mm -hmm. on birth control at all. Obviously like there's other things that you can do, but I wanted to try it again. And I got on low estrogen FE because I didn't have any issues with it in high school But I started reading about all of the different implications that come with taking birth control pills. And I freaked myself out again. So I recently got off of it and I am noticing that I am breaking out. And I hadn't been breaking out. My skin was beautiful these last three months and I had no issues with it. But now I'm realizing maybe I have something more underlying, maybe something that I should go get checked out by a dermatologist or maybe a hormone specialist. So I think if there's any advice I could give to anyone, if you are using birth control as a Band-Aid for something that's maybe more health-related, maybe seep into that a little bit more and figure out what's going on. Yeah, that's something I want to do. Yeah, Yeah. I'm on spironolactone. God, I can never (laughs) pronounce it. I sound like such an idiot. Anytime I'm at like a facialist or the doctor and they ask me what medication I'm on, I say sp- sp- Oh no, same. It wasn't until I was seeing like multiple doctors where I caught up. Is that right? Anyway, I'm on that too, which I feel like I, I don't know. Like I feel like maybe I tried to wean off of I would like to try and wean off of that. Yeah. Just because I don't I'm not crazy about like pharmaceutical medication. I don't really want to take it every day. But I get why people have to for health reasons. I just I feel like I can figure this out in a different methodology. Yeah. But I cleanse with the Elemis cleansing balm. Have you tried that? I've heard it's really good. It's amazing. I think it's, again, similar to what you said. It doesn't strip my skin. It's kind of oil-based, so I feel like it's just getting off my makeup, things like that. I forget what the brand is. It's not bio. It's like the Meissler water from, shoot. Is it like the? Bioderma. Bioderma. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That shit has absolutely been the number one thing that has helped keep my skin clear. That's what I use in the morning. Yeah. I was reading this book. I keep talking about all these. I sound like a, <laughs> a really avid reader. But I was reading this book called The Skin Bible. And she talks about how that is her number one product. Like that she just bulks up on. And she is not a liar. That it has saved my life multiple times. But I just get those reusable cotton pads from Amazon. And I reuse those and I just wash them. Same. And then... I'm on tretinoin, which I love. I, I will say yeah. that tretinoin is the goat because I think in the long term, it helps you with anti-aging, but it does dry your skin out. So if you have dry skin, it's probably not great. But I put that on and then I'll just use a moisturizer and maybe put some oil on my face, do a gua sha. I love my gua sha routine. It's oh, like, yeah. so serene for me. And I use jojoba oil, just natural jojoba oil. TMJ girlies now. Oh, yeah. It helps with that. It helps with that. (laughs) But I also got Botox in my jawline for that. I I need to get that that. on the episode last Mm -hmm. week. But 
Anyway, I love skincare and I think having a minimal routine is super important. And then whenever I use Trentinoin every other day, you actually told me to start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I use the Dr. Dennis Gross like exfoliating wipes. Those are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think tretinoin is like one of two like actually scientifically proven things to change your skin. So yeah, that's kind of the thing. I do like the skin cycling, I think it's called. So a super basic routine. The next night you do tretinoin. The next night you do like an AHA, BHA, um, like exfoliant. Yeah. And then you just do that every three days. And that has truly changed my skin. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to try the Miracle Cream from Skin Can Do. Oh, I yeah. know that we had an event with her, Sarah, who's the founder. She's based in DC. Yeah. But it's just like coconut oil, like really natural ingredients, but it you don't need a lot. It's like a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And that has been like my saving grace this winter. You need to get a facial with her still. Oh my gosh, yeah. I want to have her on the podcast this month. So and I do want to say something about kind of just like health. I feel yeah. like some people might roll their eyes. Like I feel like even my friends and family always kind of just roll their eyes at me, but I think we're just not in tune enough with our health. Even with myself, like I know I'm not 100% perfect at all. Like I love me some Jenny's dark chocolate ice cream, like whatever. But I do think we need to be more conscious of how we're treating our bodies and like the balance inside because I know way too many girls with like stomach issues, like IBS, or even our acne and everything. I'm just like, I know it comes from like the birth control, the foods that we're eating, like the way that we're doing like day-to-day life and stuff. And I know it's hard, but I think that's something like as a whole in society, we all kind of need to flip to being like, why are we focusing so hard on like medicine and band-aids as opposed to like what is our food? Where is it coming from? What products are we putting on our skin? The fact that our products aren't very regulated. Like I always go to furniture. I'm going to go on like a slight rant. No, it's okay. I look at furniture online and there's like those, what is it called? Like the warning labels where it says there are chemicals in here that are harmful to you, cause cancer and get into your bloodstream. And I was watching this, I think documentary about how they tested people sitting on a couch and then they would test their blood levels. And in pregnant women from sitting on this couch from whatever place, the chemicals from the couch were going into her body. And now today we use so many things for um, to keep things like flame resistant. And whereas like 50 years ago, they didn't have that in our clothing, furniture, all of that stuff. And so now it's like, we don't even know what's like being put into our furniture these days. And it's kind of scary because it's in our clothes, it's in our skincare, it's in our food. Yeah. So. I think that's something that people don't, think about when they're having health issues. What am I doing or what is my environment doing that's causing this? They think it's this internal thing that needs to be fixed by medicine or whatever. Like you just have to be intentional with what you're doing and make sure that you're paying attention to how you're feeling. So yeah, I felt really shitty after the holidays. I had been indulging and whatever, and that's fine. But I recognized that and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, go let off some steam. I'm going to go to a nice workout, like get back on track, start my routine up again. I'm home. It's It feels nice. And I was talking to some girls and they were like, I just felt like shit like the last couple of weeks. And I immediately chimed in and said, me too. I felt horrible. And I said to myself, isn't it crazy what can happen whenever you start working out and eating balanced meals, how different yeah. you can feel? All last week, I felt so good. I was getting enough sleep. I was getting eight hours of sleep. I was working out. I was eating 
I wasn't depriving myself of anything. I was making really nice, healthy meals and I just felt so much better. That's how you like get the most fulfilled. It's like if you say like, oh, I am going on this cleanse. I'm going on this diet. I'm restricting myself, like doing all this stuff. I feel like that's almost like a negative even start to doing that. That's not sustainable. It's not something that is going to like make you feel good, even mentally just being like, oh, I have to watch everything I'm eating. I have to stop myself at this point. If you just relax and say, okay, like what good foods do I enjoy? What new recipes can I try that bring in nutritious foods? And what fruits do I like? What combinations, like what other ways can I eat this or have fun with it? It's almost like drinking. Like everything I feel like is comparable to drinking. Everything in moderation. Yeah. For me, I try and eat pretty healthy throughout the week. And on the weekends, I allow myself to have fun, enjoy myself, not really worry as much. So I think that 80-20 lifestyle kind of chimes in there. But for a while, I was going out to eat multiple times a week, and I really missed cooking. That's something I talked about on my social media recently, that my 2023 goal was to spend more time in the kitchen and be more intentional with it. And it's so therapeutic for me. I love cooking. So I made pasta. I used Ancient Harvest gluten-free brown rice pasta, which is amazing, by the way. And I made this Mediterranean chicken in my Instant Pot. I put a bunch of ingredients together. I just completely made this recipe up. And I put this, like, feta in it. And I made this feta sauce and melted it in there. And then I just threw everything together. And it was so quick, so easy. It literally took 12 minutes in the Instant Pot. And now I have a meal for, like, five days. And it took me 12 minutes, maybe cost me, like, 20 bucks. So it's not hard to do those things. It's just giving yourself the space to do it. And I don't think that you need to deprive yourself necessarily. It's about creating alternatives and choosing the foods that you like, maybe the more indulgent foods and putting your own spin on it, making it healthy. I think people think, oh, eating healthy is I'm only eating fruits and vegetables and chicken. And that it's just a label. I think you can really explore different avenues of living a healthier or more wellness-based lifestyle. Explore and have fun with it. Like, it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. Like, I am no chef at all. Like, if you tell me to measure anything, like, my brain breaks and I'm just like, (laughs) I can't follow a recipe. I'm with baking. I cannot bake. Yeah, no, I cannot. I cook every single day. Like, I go out maybe once every two weeks, if anything. Throw on your favorite podcast. Throw on your favorite music. Put on your favorite TV show. Put on 2000s throwbacks on YouTube. And just, like, have nice time. Yeah, I feel like you're really good at dating yourself. Oh, yeah. You are, like, fully in a hibernation era, and I love that for you. That is something that I think is I wish was more normal in our country, and I know that comes from a place of, like, being able to afford that. But it hurts me so much that— Probably a majority, if not even like 80 or 90% of our country, they can't live by themselves because of how unaffordable it is and how precious and necessary that time is. Because before this past year, I had never lived alone. I had always been like alone, but like either had a roommate or like roommates I didn't know, like in that sense, but you're not truly alone. And I know that that's a very like unique privilege experience to have. I just wish more people could be able to do that because it's so important. But also our society isn't really built for single people. Mm-hmm. So it's like very hard. Yeah. But it's like a huge building block and something I'm like forever grateful for. I feel like self-reflection is huge in that scenario. And even if it's not 
being able to afford living alone, just making sure that you're setting out time to yeah. be alone. Activities on your own, like yeah. going to dinner alone, going to a class alone. Yeah. There's all like little steps you can take. And I just think it's so important because when I was in a relationship, I was literally like, what do you call it? Like serial dater, serial monogamist or whatever. Since I was 16 years old, I was in long-term relationships until last year. I was wow. not alone. I was always in a long-term relationship or dating someone. And this was the first time where I didn't feel the need to run to a man. <laughs> and I was just like shocked. I was like, Michelle, like not running to a guy? Like what? But I'm just like, if I take a step back, I truly cannot be like more thankful for this past year, like no matter how hard it was. And I'm not glazing over that it was like some glamorous, fun year. Like it was so hard. I hit some of my lowest lows, but I also hit some of my highest highs of being like, holy crap, I did it and I'm doing it. And it's still a process, but I was able to meet you and so many other people. So it's just like crazy what can happen. Like you never know where you're going to be. So I have two things that I say all the time. I feel like it's became my life mantras. One is don't take life too seriously. Second is cry about it, look hot, move on. <laughs> and that's what you did. <laughs> yes, I did. I literally cried and then was like, what am I doing? You know how people always say like, oh, we're on like a floating rock, whatever. Oh, that video where it zooms out. Oh, God. It's, it's like there's a lot so, more to that. Yeah. Like, there is a lot going on. But if you think about it, Everyone is in their own world. Just do what makes you happy and like figure out what that is. Yeah. So, well, on that note, I think that was a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can connect? Yes. So, TikTok is michelle.sparling. Instagram. I love this. I'm dying <laughs> to change it. Someone please help me if you No, can. I love it. It's at Michisor. It's literally my sixth grade Xbox username. <laughs> I love it. For some reason, I guess there's like a hundred Michelle Sparlings on Instagram. It's but like dinosaur, but it's yeah. Michisaur. Yeah. So M-I-C-H-I-S-A-U-R, right? Prime middle school, like peak middle school. Yeah. So those are kind of like my two main platforms. I might play around soon with like YouTube or something like that. But for sure, definitely TikTok. And then Instagram is kind of just like a little bit more casual. But Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know that this is going to be a treat for the audience. So... Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. A brand I feel like I've been talking about forever on social media is a brand called Sunday Scaries. If you're unfamiliar, Sunday Scaries is a CBD company that has a ton of different products relating to CBD. I, for one, love their CBD bath bombs, their CBD gummies, their CBD oils. I know so many people that put little drops of CBD oil in their coffee every morning. For me, I love the sugar-free stress relief CBD gummies. They're perfect for daily stress, moral hangovers, breakups, travel, mind racing, you name it. And I think that they're the most famous for those. But all of their products are absolutely fabulous. So if you're looking for a new CBD company, I totally recommend Sunday Scaries. And what a cute name. Not only can you use their products on Sundays for that impending Monday, but they're perfect for any day of the week. Because let's face it, unfortunately, we experience those symptoms any day of the week. So if you're looking for a new CBD brand to try, I totally recommend them. Their accolades speak for themselves. They've been featured on Forbes, Cosmopolitan, all of the big media outlets. 
So you can use code Veronica, that's V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A, for 15% off your entire purchase. That is code Veronica, V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A, for 15% off your entire purchase. So make sure to check out their website, scroll through all of their amazing products, and thank me later. Again, that's code Veronica, V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A, for 15% off. 